0: Love, talk, radio. Hello and welcome to Gigabit Nation. I'm your host, Craig Huddles, and we are here to help you get broadband and telehealth everywhere it needs to be. Today's topic is digital inclusion, particularly highlighting the FCC's Affordable Connectivity Program, or ACP for short, And this program provides uh, free internet services to eligible households, as well as a $100 subsidy for computing devices. Our first guest is Rebecca Comey, uh, who is the uh, digital equity and inclusion officer for the city of Long Beach, California. And um, she has had really good success making sure that everyone in the community has a voice in the needs assessment process and also in the digital inclusion roadmap that was developed for the city last year. Rebecca, welcome to Gigabit Nation. Hello? Rebecca, are you here? We seem to have some like weird technical problem here. Um, I see all the lights saying that we are alive. Hello, hello? I think I will call back. So let me call back if you can hear me. Um, hold on one second. Hello. Ah, yes, there you are. Okay, I'm not sure what exactly happened, but but what, did you hear anything of the introduction?
1: No, I didn't. It just went blank.
0: Okay. Well, let's carry on. I did a good introduction uh, um, and what your uh, um, organization is up to. Um, let's start with what's the, the, like the big success or successes that Long Beach's in Digital Inclusion Roadmap uh, has produced?
1: Sure, absolutely, and again, thank you so much for having me on your show today, and for introduction purposes, my name is Rebecca Kaluma, and I'm the Digital Equity and Inclusion Officer for the City of Long Beach. So one of our most proudest accomplishments that the City of Long Beach engaged with community-based organizations, nonprofits, and also just our community members at large was the development of our Digital Inclusion Roadmap. And this is essentially our strategic plan to be able to address the digital divide. So we officially kicked off this process back in 2019 and we got it approved by the Long Beach City Council June of last year. And what makes this roadmap so special is that it includes a vision statement, goals, objectives and strategies to be able to address the digital divide. And as I mentioned before, it was done in partnership not only with many community-based organizations, city departments, um, nonprofits, funders, internet service providers, but most importantly, it uplifted the vision, goals, and strategies, and solutions that came directly from the community as well. And what our accomplishments have been to date with the roadmap is that we have been able to take the community-driven solutions and bring them to life as we're implementing um, different types of programs with federal relief money. So one of the key things that residents shared as part of that process was that we need access and use of free devices that can connect us to the internet and also computers. So we were able to take funding that we got from CARES Act and now ARPA, which locally we call the Long Beach Recovery Act, and we are administering those devices to communities most in need. So we were able to literally take these community-driven strategies and ultimately drive these efforts. I do want to mention that we are in the process of reconvening our digital inclusion stakeholder committee. So we will be convening all of our stakeholders as well as members of the community to help shape what implementation should look like in Long Beach to address the digital divide.
0: Excellent. I had a conversation with a couple of your colleagues uh, several uh, weeks ago, and two things came up that I found interesting, and I want you to follow up and uh, add some meat to the whole process. Um, There was the collective impact approach, and then there is a racial equality lens. How would you describe each of these and what is the role that they had in your developing um, your roadmap and all of, you know, getting the people involved in all of the aspects of uh, getting digital connectivity in the community?
1: Yeah, that's a great question so collective impact and also a racial equity lens those are the bread and butter of our work and when we're talking about collective impact we are bringing together all of our cross-sector partners and the community to be able to achieve social change and that is the essence of collective impact so it's approach that strongly believes that we need to be able to collaborate with one another and not compete with each other to be able to address whatever key social issues are out there. And why I love collective impact is that it includes equity and that's a key priority. So it tells us that we need to be able to apply equity throughout all of our aspects when we're doing this work. It also encourages us to include community members as part of the collaborative. So we need to ensure that those that are most impacted by the digital divide have a seat at the table and they're involved in the decision-making process it also focuses on programmatic and systems change efforts so we want to be able to ensure that we're moving the needle and addressing a lot of the systemic and institutional racism and oppression that exists and that are also holding the digital inequities in place and then when we talk about racial equity the definition that we utilize this is from the national government alliance on race and Equity. It means that race can no longer be used for dick life outcomes. So we want to ensure that we're addressing some of the key inequities that are impacting our black and brown communities when it comes to digital inequities, and just making sure that we're achieving racial equity not only as an outcome but also as a process. So we're using very intentional and inclusive steps as we're developing our programs, implementation efforts, everything that we're doing with digital inclusion in the city has that approach and has that framework. So we are literally trying to be very intentional with all of the aspects that we're implementing. An example of this would look like when we're in the process of administering resources, we need to make sure that all of our resources are accessible because we understand that many of our Long Beach residents speak another language outside of English in their household, so we need to make sure that those Documents and resources are translated in Khmer, Spanish, and Tagalog because those are the languages covered under our language access policy. Um, Also making sure that we're partnering with community-based organizations that have trust and relationships in the communities that we're trying to work with. So those are all key steps that we're utilizing as part of our racial equity lens. And then most importantly, even though the city is serving in this backbone support, we by all means are not the only drivers of digital inclusion in Long Beach. So it takes us working together with all of our cross-sector partners to ultimately have collective impact and to ensure that we have a joint um, plan of action and that us as the city is more so orchestrating that work of the group to ensure that we're all aligned as we're addressing the digital divide in Long Beach
0: right okay that that makes a lot of sense um is there you know i don't know from from a number of folks that I have talked to over the last few uh months, there seems to be a concern about um will these programs will these uh these interviews and these uh, these activities will they reach everybody? That's the first thing, but the other part is Will they, uh, will these activities make a difference in terms of, you know, will there be final outcomes that ensure people are connected? Um, do you sense that's a, a a concern among your colleagues in other cities, do you think? Great question,
1: so I can't speak to what's happening in other cities, but I can definitely speak to what's happening in Long Beach. And just based on our experience and everything that we have going on, I definitely do want to mention that we are making an impact with our community members. So we really want to make sure that we're assessing our impact, so as we're doing work in the community in partnership with our community-based organizations, we do track that using reporting forms. And just based on the insights that we have received as part of that process, we have been able to track and get an assessment that we are making an impact in the lives of community members. So, for example, when we administered Chromebooks two years ago as part of CARES Act, we received this quote from a Long Beach resident. Um, I've had this Chromebook for two years. This was so helpful. I am so happy. Um, We also received another quote from another Long Beach resident which indicated, my little brother and I have been struggling with school since we don't have a computer um, at home, straight A's from now on. So it's these little testimonials that we receive every so often that really validate that the work that our partners are doing in the Long Beach community are making a difference. So I do want to mention that it is going to take a while for us to impact the onion layers of all of the different inequities that we exist, but us all coming together and doing this work and peeling at it a little a little bit of a time does make a difference. And just mm-hmm. hearing positive testimonies from the community that are directly benefiting from the resources and services that are coming to them is the icing on the cake.
0: Okay, that makes a lot of sense. The um, the diversity of some of the inner city. Uh, communities can be extensive. I mean, we're talking about obviously you know you have uh, uh, Asian, you have uh, L- Latino and and Hispanic and so forth. But does the um, is the challenge great to include different communities that may have different cultures, different languages, Even different, you know, uh, uh, I guess words within the same language. uh, How do you how do you resolve that?
1: Yeah, so we need to be able to partner with our community-based organizations to be able to understand how we best reach to the communities that they work closely with. So, for example, we have the largest Cambodian population outside of Cambodia. And it is our job as public servants to ensure that we're engaging with very um, renowned community-based organizations that already have the trust and relationships with that community Mm -hmm. and partner with them to get the resources and services. So it's our job to ensure that we're staying um, inclusive and implementing equity best practices that we're learning directly from them and making sure that we apply that to our work and also just making sure that we continue to make a presence in the communities that we're trying to serve so that way we could also learn and um, be part of that community as well and it is a process but i would say having that insight and perspective is definitely very helpful to ensure that we're designing approaches that work best for communities so what works best for the Cambodian community May not work for the Black African American community or the Latinx community, so we need to be very mindful of that and uplift these different strategies that cater to whatever needs that they have as it pertains to the digital divide.
0: Okay, no, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Um, one of the things that uh, that came up in a conversation I had with NTIA, you know, they're laying out all of the digital equity. Um, uh, and inclusion uh, activities is the idea of um, bringing people together and then giving them the, the the tools so that they can do their own needs assessment and their own evaluations and surveys and so forth rather than to have a consultant or a group of folks who are not part of the community that you know show up do their thing, and then they disappear, right? Um, is, it, um, is it valuable to have a mindset that we're going to do our own stuff so that we get it done right, and also as you go along two, three years down the road, that you still have the ability and the talent to be able to do these types of evaluation and and programs and so forth. What's that gonna, you know, what's gonna be the impact if that actually happens?
1: Yeah, I can't speak to what other communities are doing, but I do wanna mention that when it comes to doing any type of assessment work or needs assessment, at the end of the day, communities just need to do whatever works best for them and making sure that you're in partnership, as I mentioned before, with trusted partners, and then also making sure that you're creating a community engagement process that is equitable and inclusive. So for us, as part of the digital inclusion roadmap, um, we did um, hire a consultant, and our consultant was very, very intentional with making sure that we were engaging with those community members early on, and we met with them and we decided to continue to move on with that process because we were able to learn many different things that would be relevant to the work that we're trying to do. So they shared with us some equity um, best practices and also made sure that we had an understanding of the language access needs, any um, culturally rooted norms that we needed to know when we're engaging with community, and also just being mindful of any trauma that these communities have experienced. So I think at the end of the day, um, different organizations slash cities slash jurisdictions, they need to figure out the approach that works for them. And thankfully with us, we were able to hire a consultant that engaged with us in this work and also helped us Um, from a social justice standpoint. And we are still continuing to engage with those partners we engage with as part of the roadmap, so I think being very intentional that it's not just we do this engagement and walk away, but more so how are you building trusted relationships as you're doing this work, and it's something that's ongoing and Mm -hmm. not transactional.
0: Right. No, that's a big... That's a big thing because, you know, a lot of these dollars you know, that are being made available, um, they, they, they carry with this the issue of um, what do you do when the money runs out? And, um, you know, I, I would assume that folks would um, lay out the plan in the beginning of the projects. So that um, that people figure out how to create sustainability, right? That was like several so years. Well, for a number of years, I think one of the issues has been, you know, we get this money and it, we it, it gets spent, and then boom, nothing else, right? Do um, you see a city? Well, you are you know, Long Beach being able to sustain these programs, um, you know, for a long period of time.
1: Yeah, I definitely do see so, and there's just so much momentum and action happening in the digital inclusion space at the federal government level, at the state level, and so many resources that are going to be funneled down through the state of California and also to our city, so I definitely do feel as though we will be able to sustain these programs even after the pandemic relief money has gone away. And then there's also a lot of engagement from um, organizations in the private sector that also want to invest in digital inclusion. So we are definitely in a very exciting time and milestone for this work. And I'm just so excited to see how each and every city across this country is going to be taking these resources and ultimately applying them in the communities that they work closely with. So to answer your question, yes, I'm not sure exactly what that will look like yet, but we're definitely excited about all of these resources that are being um, poured out throughout this country.
0: So how are you um, budgeting these federal dollars such as the ACP and uh, the NTIA's money and so forth, um, how do you, I guess, budget that stuff so that um, digital and the digital divide is impacted?
1: Yeah, so for clarification, when it comes to the digital inclusion resources that we currently are utilizing right now, the city has used CARES Act, and this was part of the initial funding that was passed back in um, 2021, um, I believe. And then we're now using ARPA dollars, which was called Long Beach Recovery Act locally. So those are the two current funding sources that we have allocated for digital inclusion. And with the city of Long Beach, we're very fortunate enough that we are allocating resources to be able to fight the digital divide. So for us, we just followed the city's process of allocating resources. And that's how we were able to assign funding and allocate it towards those programs. So we followed the city's review and approval process for that. And then we wanted to ensure that we were putting these resources directly into the community, which is why We went through a competitive RFP process, and we were able to contract with nine organizations that are serving as grantees, and we are providing them with the resources, technical assistance, and they're going out into the communities and giving out the resources that we have available. So it is definitely um, an amazing um, opportunity for us because we're able to reach so many residents and businesses and nonprofits through that process. And we are hoping that we can get additional funding as all of the different action efforts that are taking place at the federal and state level, you know, trickle down to the city.
0: So one of the things I've wondered is um, how do you as an organization keep track of all of the various grants Programs, foundation programs, and so forth, because I mean there are, uh, you know, just at the federal level there are some twenty agencies that deal with broadband in some form, right? And then you have stuff at the state level, and then it's, and and so forth. I mean, it's like do you get a uh, like find one person and you know make them in uh, the person in charge of just Sorting out the um, the different agencies and and the different sources for broadband, or or how do you um, how do you keep control of over this process of knowledge?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So we are definitely involved and stay up to date by participating in webinars, meetings, um, email updates. We're also very fortunate enough to have a wonderful government affairs team that also keeps, keeps us updated. And then obviously through the National Digital Inclusion Alliance Listserv, there's also a lot of robust and exciting conversations about all of the action that's taking place. So it's definitely a lot, but I think you'll continue to hear these conversations in other spaces. And for us, we just continue to keep a tracking list of everything that's going on, share it appropriately with our stakeholders, and just start to keep track of things that the city could maybe perhaps either apply for or share with our partners if they want to apply for it. So there's just a lot going on, but I do want to mention that all of the different entities that are sharing these opportunities have done a great job with making sure that we're staying up to date and um, having the most. Um, relevant, and
0: accurate information. Mm-hmm. Ah, great. Because uh, um, it definitely is a, um, you know, the process of keeping order with all of this money that's floating around is got to be like crazy, crazy um, stuff to, to have to manage. But it seems like again, you guys have done a good job of sorting yourselves out and and so there you go more power more power to you. Um, my last question deals with um telehealth it's a big you know big issue uh, issue of mine. Um, do you think that, that that urban communities should take an, uh, make a concerted effort to include um telehealth and digital health as part of their digital inclusion plan.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I definitely do feel that telehealth is a key aspect that as from a first standpoint, we all should be looking at it and just understanding how literally in twenty twenty when the world paused and shut down, if you didn't have access to a computer or internet, it would be very hard and difficult for you to be able to communicate with your healthcare provider and that's very essential especially considering that many of the communities that we're trying to reach with digital inclusion may also be impacted by other health issues um, just due to health disparities and health inequities. So I definitely do see that we need to have some type of intersectionality with public health and healthcare when we're doing digital inclusion. And we should definitely be including those individuals that represent those sectors as part of those conversations to ensure that we're aligning it in a way that makes sense and that we're ultimately um, elevating telehealth because that is the future of healthcare. Mm -hmm.
0: Who should be at the table when we're talking about uh, the the telehealth and uh, digital health? In your position, you know, your position, uh, your um, view.
1: Yeah, I would say most importantly, we should definitely include um, patients because those are individuals that would be utilizing the telehealth. We should definitely include healthcare providers, and that could span across, you know, many different types of entities. When we're talking about healthcare, so maybe perhaps it could be through a primary care physician or hospitals or um, outpatient centers. So there's many different entities of healthcare that we can elevate as part of this conversation and just making sure that we're definitely including all the different areas of healthcare and most importantly, as I mentioned first, including the patients because they're the ones that would be utilizing it and just making sure that we're designing a process and a resource that's ultimately going to work for them.
0: Okay, yes, that definitely makes a lot, of, a lot of sense. One of the things I felt that needs to be involved in any discussion about telehealth are the unofficial leaders, people like you know, your, your church pastors, your barbershops and heritage salons. Um, they're, you know, they're not part of the org chart of city government, but they are very influential in the community. Is this, um, you know, should we give a lot of attention to the recruiting of the unofficial leaders?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think each city and jurisdiction needs to do their assessment, identify what are those profound leaders and also entities that play a profound role in being able to drive change. But absolutely, I do see the importance of us elevating our faith-based communities and also ensuring that we are working closely with other pillars that do play a role in this work.
0: Great. Um, last question, and we'll move on to our other guests. Um, what, is in, what are some of the ways that a successful telehealth effort, how will that be played out in the communities?
1: Yeah, um, my background at the moment isn't in healthcare, but ironically, I do have a bachelor's degree in healthcare administration. So I'm not mm-hmm. sure. I'm definitely wanting to learn more to see how different entities are elevating um, telehealth. So I wouldn't be able to respond to that.
0: Okay, no, no worries. Well, I'm going to, um, you know, definitely be following Long Beach and your successes, and I wish you much uh, success as, you know, as we go along, and I want to thank you for being uh, our guest today. Um, It's been a very good and eye-opening process, and so thank you very much.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Okay. Our next guest is um, Elizabeth Ramirez who is the um, Community Digital Navigator for ACP in Joaquin, uh, uh, um Illinois. Um, what caught my attention was, um, you know, they seem to be doing really great at getting people enrolled um, uh, in the program and getting people uh, to understand the process and then just dealing with all of the hurdles and there are many of them. uh, I'm just amazed at at that. And so I want to welcome Elizabeth to the show and thank you for being our guest.
2: Well, thank you so much um, for having me on the show and thank you for that introduction. I'm really happy to be here and share um, my experiences with working with the ACP application um, in our community.
0: Great now, I understand that um, like in the last what sixty days, you touched out uh, reached out to some two hundred and thirty households. You got about a thirty percent success rate with getting people enrolled in the process and another 30 34 percent who are engaged and are are going in the last stages of the um you know enrolling for the program what is the secret of your success
2: i would say that a big part of our success comes from our commitment to getting community members all the way through the process so as you mentioned you know a there's different stages and we have identified seven enrollment phases that range from that initial interaction. Um, They they range from that initial interaction um, that we have when we engage with community members to understand how the ACP can best help their household all the way to actually helping them contact their internet service provider after their application has been approved to ensure that they are in fact receiving this benefit. So everything in between um, there that is application has been approved or we have contacted their internet service providers and I think this is really important um, to uh, recognize because it's not enough for us to say that we've gotten hundreds of people qualified um, so gotten their ACP application approved. If they are qualified, but they don't know how to get in touch with their internet service provider and take those additional steps that are required, then there's no point in getting them qualified because they're not making use of those funds. So that's why um, I think that's what sets sets us apart. Uh, We take people all the way through the process and all the way through these phases.
0: Interesting. Interesting. Now, you you said there's seven uh, phases. Um, Do you you have them, um, uh, I guess, put together so that everybody knows what their phases will be? Um, Or how do you educate people about the seven phases?
2: So in um, that initial conversation that we have, which is phase one, and so an oral or text information exchange, um, we tell people about this process and what the process is, entails. So the next step, if they are interested in proceeding um, with this process, the next step would be to schedule an appointment or show up to an enrollment event. After that, um, people will will take the active steps to enroll, so making sure they have all their documentation needed, um, that they have their IDs ready, that they understand and uh, prepare what they need to bring. After that, uh, we tell them that we will um, help them complete the application, which is the fourth phase, um, submitting the application. Um, We will then wait um, to hear about the status of that application, so if it's approved or not. Once it's approved, they can then move on to the next phase, which is contacting their ISP. And this is something that we help them do as well. Um, and this can be by sitting with them um, on the phone or you know, doing a three-way call with their ISP, or if they know their account information, we can also help them log in to do it online. The final step would then be to confirm that their benefit has been applied to their internet bill and that they are seeing their discount on the bill. Um, So we do, you know, explain that this is a long process, but at the same time, we ensure community members that we will be with them um, every step of the way.
0: So how is the the reception for this uh, process? Because in, you know, if I look at the national uh, situation and I look at specific states, there may be uh, some states that have that maybe 20% of their eligible folks actually engaged uh, and enrolled, um, which is, it's a pretty serious lift, it appears, to get those numbers. to to get better. Um, What are you seeing in terms of like people's first response to your, um, you know, your activities and so forth? Um, Is there a major hurdle to get people to just get comfortable with the idea of, you know, applying and getting a uh, uh, device in their homes?
2: Definitely. Um, I always say that this is not a one-and-done process. It's complicated, it's challenging, and it was not designed to be user-friendly, especially for the target populations. So I would say the um, responses vary um, between populations. Um, so I want to give an example about the Hispanic and Latino um, population uh, mm-hmm. and how their response differs um, from other populations. So in our community, there is a significant percent of undocumented Hispanic and Latino community members who are nervous about sharing any information with the government. So, you know, their response might not always be, um, sometimes it it can be, you know, a response of fear or response of worry, um, as opposed to community members who do have a social security number. And Um, have, you know, little worry about sharing this information with the government. So that's the way that, that's one way that a response, you know, can carry out. Um, The U.S., Hispanic, and Latino community is, in general, less inclined to ask for help and to share their private identifying information. So it can be difficult to get them, you know, through the process or even started with the process um, because, Mm we may not always be able to get that information we need. Or um, if we're not using a social, it is harder to get the application approved and it does take a little bit longer. Again, it requires more documentation. So there is a lot of going back and forth um, that I feel like a lot of the times they do get discouraged on uh, actually going through the entire process.
0: So, what would you consider the top two or three successes that you have accomplished so far?
2: Yeah. So, one of the uh, of our biggest successes has been that we have helped 23 households get internet for the first time and at no cost. So, um, the way that this works is that generally these households have enrolled into the low-cost programs with their internet service providers, which um, are $30. Uh, This is the same amount that uh, the ACP benefit covers. So that's how they can get it for for free, basically. Um, And I have even personally helped some of those households set up their internet equipment at their own homes, um, since nowadays, the internet equipment does need to be installed. Um, by the consumer itself, rather than a technician coming in and installing it. Um, So That has been a pretty, pretty good success and something that I feel great about. And I'd also like to share another very impactful story about a particular success.
0: So Uh about
2: a month ago, we met a 76-year-old woman who had recently spent time in a convalescent facility. She uses a walker, she does not drive, and she has no family in the immediate area. Her apartment is equipped with a first alert medical system, and her only way to communicate with family members was through a landline for which she paid $65 a month. Um, We went to her apartment complex one day to help other senior residents enroll into the ACP as well. And after speaking with her, the client understood that by switching from a landline to a mobile plant, she could access the internet, make and receive video calls, and most importantly, save money. So when we connected with the service provider, we were told that to port the landline number to a mobile account, the client had to be physically present in one of their stores and that no accommodations for the client's disability would be made. So we transported the client to the store to be in the process. And at the store, the client was not able to receive a free mobile phone from the provider because she was not a new customer. She was an existing customer. Thankfully, mm. um, we were able to purchase a flip phone for the client, and the store employee taught her the basics of using the phone. And then we went back to the client's resident to help connect the first alert system to her mobile device and to also work with the provider to get her ACP benefit um, applied to her new account, well, to her new mobile account. So um, despite the many roadblocks, today the client is able to connect with her family using video and voice calls, and a neighbor is teaching her how to take advantage of her phone's features as well as accessing the internet. So after applying the ACP benefit to her account, she now pays $0 for her phone and mobile Internet service.
0: Man, this is not an easy chore, obviously. <laughs> <laughs>
2: right. Exactly. That, no. and, and that's what we want to point out, that it, it's a, a very, um, you know, involved process and a challenging one.
0: So are you the only digital navigator um for a c p or does connect Lo and have others as well? Mean just I for am the a-
2: only digital navigator mhm okay. um and we do also have a volunteer um that regularly helps us as well, but as far as you know um employment and digital navigation, I am the only one.
0: How do you keep saying <laughs> <laughs>
2: I what? take it one day at a time.
0: Yes, <laughs> so did you now? Did you anticipate, you know, the kinds of trials you would face when they brought you on board?
2: I knew that, you know, anything that is kind that has to do with the government, um, for better lack of words, could be challenging. But um, until I got familiar with the application itself and, you know, just seeing every little error message or every, just like every little thing um, that popped up that, um, you know, hampered this process um, and getting all the way through, it, it made me realize like, wow, you know, this is a lot. And I don't know, you know sometimes I question like why does he, why are there all these error messages or why are there all these requirements in place and and it just you know makes you think differently about public policy and the way that it's designed
0: ah well that's that's an interesting uh, situation there. Um, so what would you say would be the two or three challenges? that communities need to be be warned of before they take on this, this process?
2: Yeah, so like I mentioned, um, there have been challenges with the application itself, and I can give some examples. Um, so one, it's harder and longer to get approved without a social security number. And um, sometimes the application even requires undocumented applicants to submit a notarized proof of life to validate wow. that they are alive.
0: That's pretty impressive. Um, and, <laughs> Someone thought yeah, this you know, idea is amazing. It amazing me.
2: Right. And explaining this to the consumer is difficult, not only because it requires an additional step, but also because it's it creates a worry and confusion, um, and it's just hard, it's hard to talk about that. Um, But another example of a challenge is um, the documentation that is required. So for example, a Medicaid letter or a SNAP award letter, um, that documentation must include even the slightest details, such as the contact information for The department or the institution issuing it If just one small thing like the date or you know contact information is missing it gets rejected so you know that's one of the biggest challenges that we face because people have you know they're obviously um showing me that they are receiving medical benefits or that they are receiving the the snap uh benefit every month they have their snap card with them Um, And it's it's hard to prove that because of all the um, details that are required. And then another great challenge, um, apart from the application, is dealing with the Internet service providers. So in our area, there is one Internet service provider with whom the majority of community members have or open services with. And that Internet service provider in particular has a very cumbersome process to apply customers' ACP benefits on their accounts. For example, there is a 48-hour waiting period after contacting them and giving them all the ACP application information where they must verify that everything matches exactly to the application and the Internet account. If just one thing is off, like the spelling of the name, for example, which many times is actually misspelled by the representative over the phone, um, the benefit does not get applied. And this requires yet more phone calls to, one, fix the uh, fix this issue or the typo, and two, try and apply the benefit again. Once the benefit is applied again and that issue is resolved, the person must wait another 48 hours to confirm that it's all good now and that the benefit has been applied. So, you know, IS, some ISPs just have very difficult processes or processes that require, you know, so much, even after you've already been approved by the national verifier, um, once you get that um, notification that you qualify for the ACP. Wow. And then I would also like to to talk about um, the what we call bad actors. So um, there are some companies, there are, I would say, smaller companies than, you know, the big players um, nationally. But in our community, there have been several companies that have targeted low-income residents, residents with a social security number in order to sign them up for the ACP, and in return, give them what they call a free tablet or a free phone with very little data on it. And the bad thing about this is that these companies don't tell the community members that they are enrolling them into the ACP. They offer them the free, quote-unquote free um, device. And the community member gives them, you know, their information, such as their name, date of birth, social security number. And they don't know that they're getting signed up for the ACP. So they don't know that this free device is actually, you know, being covered by the $30 ACP credit every month. We have run into community members who have had that happen to them already. And they always tell us we didn't know, you know, even about this program. We didn't know that we were getting signed up for this program. We didn't know, even know what the ACT was.
0: This is, um, I can see this would be very confusing and frustrating for Mm -hmm. both the, uh, you know, Connect uh, Keegan and also just the the, the average folks on the street because no one really has a you know the the time this kind of uh, process requires i mean it is right it, um wow um how now so you have from my view you've got a lot of uh positive numbers in terms of the numbers of people that you have engaged uh that you've gotten through the process and so forth um What is um, you know what what is the next step do you think? Is it going to be um, turning everybody into a you know a, a customer a walking uh, customer story and let those mm-hmm. folks go to their neighbors or are you planning uh, some other kinds of you know marketing activity? in order to continue uh, with these good numbers that you've created?
2: I think it's a lot of um, continuing the outreach that we have done. So partnering up with different organizations around the community to reach even more audiences or partnering up with the local government to um, also help spread awareness about the ACP. So I think it's a lot of connections Um, that we still have to continue making. And um, then that way, being able to reach more audiences. And it's also about, you know, people who already have their benefit applied, they are also, they also help us spread awareness. So they'll tell their neighbors or their friends. And then um, because they've already seen how this works and they've seen that this actually does work and they're starting to save money. So they want to share that with other people that they care about as well um, to make sure that they are saving money as
0: well. Mm-hmm. What, um, it seems like you have a, a rely on data. Um, is that true? Is, there, is, is, is yours a, uh, a data-driven uh, exercise?
2: I would say so. So um, data is big with us because that is the way that we can track our impact. So we track each community member according to which enrollment phase they're in. So, mm-hmm. you know, someone has gotten their application approved. They Everyone who's gotten their application approved sits in step five, in phase five. Um, and then that way, you know, we can see where everyone's at how much impact we've made, how many people are we getting all the way through, et cetera. And some never move out of the phase because of the difficulties they encounter during the process. And I think that tracking that helps demonstrate that, you know, this is not an easy process and it can require multiple visits and touches to complete it and to get all the way through and start saving those $30 a month. It takes a lot um, to you know, save $30. It really does. We also track the amount of minutes spent in each enrollment phase, um, which helps identify what steps take longest, and that can tell us why getting through this process is so challenging and where we, where we may need to deploy more resources. We also track zip codes um, to help us uh, demonstrate how far our efforts extend, And then we track the ISP that the client uh, chose and the way that people are qualifying.
0: Wow. Now, did you uh, consider this a fairly new program, the ACP? um, Mm -hmm. Did you find some app somewhere that allows you to do this kind of um, uh, research? Uh, Is there a, I don't know, there's an organization that I mean how do you um, how do you create the tool the, the research tool that allows you to gather gather all of this information and let let it be accessible for your, the rest of your team
2: right so right now we haven't um, found an application that really um, you know helps us do that We have been tracking it on a spreadsheet um, the way that we get to that spreadsheet though is through a tool that I have developed called an interaction note. So in that interaction note, um, we take those to you know, enrollment events or we utilize those when we um, help a community member one-on-one enroll into the ACP. And what that um, document consists of is you know, writing the community members um, general information, like their name, contact information. Also, um, estimating the minutes for – or keeping track of the minutes for, for how long it takes in each phase. So, if I worked with a client today um, and we had a, uh, an, a one-hour appointment, on the interaction note, I would um, check off all the phases that we went through today. All the enrollment phases we went through today, and then um, also write down the number of minutes um, that we spent in each one. In that interaction note, we also um, there's also a space for notes where we write down you know any difficulties that we encounter during the process, how we resolve them, and any follow up that's needed. So then we take that interaction note. convert it to a digital interactional, and then from there we take all our, we summarize all our data in the
0: spreadsheet. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're only, you know, we have about four minutes left. Um, is there a sense in your mind that uh, if we use telehealth as a way to drive adoption of the ACP, Do you think that would be successful?
2: I think that it could definitely help. I I do think that it would be successful, and it could definitely help, um, especially the senior population, for Mm -hmm. example, um, access telehealth, because a lot of them don't know, you know, that the Internet is needed um, to connect. For example, a lot of the senior residents that I've spoken to, they... um, don't know the difference between cable and internet. So they think that if they have cable, like TV cable service at their home, they can um, connect to like telehealth, for example, as well, or they can connect to the internet and watch videos. Um, When in reality, that's not the case. So I think that um, the ACP can definitely help um, the education portion of a telehealth and also obviously being able to access the internet add um, no cost in many cases um, to be able to um, participate in telehealth su- successfully.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Um, all right. So we got a lot of last question. Um, if, um, well, what's the difference between uh, Hispanic Uh, communities and Latino communities, and does it make a difference? And I'm obviously talking about those who are not either of those groups, but they're responsible for, you know, ACP and, and the broadband effort and so forth. Is there a difference that will matter in the marketing of the program?
1: Definitely.
2: And like I talked um, earlier about the uh, social security number portion of it um, and the way that a lot of the Hispanic and Latino community is um, nervous about sharing this information, even if they do have it, um, I think that, you know, greatly impacts the marketing of the ACP because um, so far it is uh, communicated that a social security number is not required to apply or qualify for the ACP. But I think that greater marketing needs to be done to ensure that these communities are, you know, that they feel comfortable um, to apply without a social or that they understand that this will not negatively impact them or, um, you know, just, just getting comfortable with this whole process. And then I think that another, um, that another thing that significantly um, affects the Hispanic and Latino communities, um, as opposed to um, other communities, particularly that are English speaking communities is the language, obviously. So for those community members who are not bilingual, Um, in English and Spanish, right off the bat, the process is harder for them because they may not have, you know, anyone close to them who is aware of the ACP program or who knows how to translate the process in Spanish. Like I mentioned, the website, the FCC website to apply is not even in Spanish until you create an account. and then actually start the process until that point is when you can actually switch the language to Spanish. So I do believe that there are quite a few challenges when it comes to working with the Hispanic and Latino communities and um, comfort is probably the biggest, the biggest uh, part that the ACP uh, marketing should focus on comfort and trust that um, they can foster in in these communities.
0: Um, this is great information. Thank you very much for your time and uh, you know sharing all of this information and I wish you much success in uh, you know as you move forward and again, just you know thanks for everything that that your group is doing. I really appreciate it. And of
2: course, thank you so much for your time as well. And thank you for this opportunity to share a little bit of the work that we have been doing with APP.
0: Great. And to our audience, thank you very much for being here. Uh, There's a lot more coming down the pike. So stay tuned. Uh, Have a great day. Talk to you soon.